All right. We could start on the Dunning Kruger effect. Yeah, we should. <laughs> I just brought it up in the last one. Um, uh, <laughs> he's got one note. <laughs> he's got one note that he loves to hit. Ding. No, because it's so good. Okay. Have I told you about the Dunning Kruger effect? <laughs> uh, okay, we're live. Um, welcome, everyone. My name is Heath, and this is the Meet Your Species podcast. Today we have Josh. Um, I'm human. <laughs> he's very human with his mustache. <laughs> Hey, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> My friend, I like, this is for an acting role. And so I shaved down and I like posted a picture the first time I ever shaved down. And my friend's like, there's the mustache. Oh, and here's a hilarious story. So I'm in Whole Foods and I'm not used to people cringing from me. Mm-hmm. And I forgot I had it, right? Like I'm just walking around normal. I forget that I have a mustache. And I'm walking down Whole Foods and this lady sees me. And she's got this little girl beside her. She comes and she tucks the girl behind her on the other side. And they both like cringe against the aisle and walk down, like putting as much space between me. I had that moment of, oh, I'm the monster now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the mustache monster. (laughs) They used to be so cool. Yes. Well, I mean, I never thought they looked good, but I was biased because I was little. Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't think they are anymore in the U.S. (laughs) Cooler. Yeah, mustaches. They've lost their coolness. You know, it's weird because, like, they've kind of come back a little bit. There's a sub-segment, I think, but it's not... No, it's not a broad-based thing. It's not like it was. Yeah. So... <laughs> anyway. So, Josh, uh, we met... I think when I came back from India the first time, mm-hmm. you told me, is there somebody who's interested in the class or something? We met through... Somebody... Did we? Yeah, because you were an actor. You're like somebody was like, he's an actor. You should meet him. Oh, okay, okay. But I don't remember who it was. Somebody mm-hmm. important. Thanks, that person. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, it's been kind of cool because I just kept we just kept popping up. Like I would see you at the ashram in India mm-hmm. and then randomly, and just like here. And then when I got back, you had us come over for the Devi um, full moon ceremony. Mm-hmm. It was all really nice. So it's just been a, a very interesting and unexpected friendship yeah. that's arisen. <laughs> we have all these weird, like, random Isha connections, too. It's like, oh, you know this person. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know this person. <laughs> it happens. It does. It does. So, hmm. yeah. But anyway, um, on the podcast, what I like to do is give people a, a bit of context about you, like mm-hmm. who you are and what makes you tick. So uh, if you don't mind, I just kind of dive in a little bit well um i'm atlanta born and raised i'm a i guess true southerner or something whatever that means uh raised very um traditional suburbanite white uh christian household and was raised in like this is the the way the world is and as i grew um i realized the world didn't necessarily fit within my views uh so rather than i guess what most people tend to do i expanded my views um, <laughs> rather than try to fit the world in my box, I, uh, allowed my box to grow. Uh, so I was raised, um, that way. And I've kind of been on a exploration to see what I guess life is on a whole bunch of different levels. Uh, once you realize that it's not, um, what your original understanding is, then the big question is, is like, what is it? And it's interesting because I was talking uh, with a friend about this the other day. We were talking about, um, I took uh, 
a class in cell development uh, when I was studying to go to med school. And so uh, they, what it is, is you have this organism, right? So you have, it starts as one cell, like a embryo, but it's not an embryo yet. But it starts as one cell and then it divides. And after it gets a couple, it has to be able to tell the top from the bottom, right? So there's this chemical gradient that allows the anterior and posterior size to differentiate. Okay, so we were talking about like what life is, what's, this is basically just a bunch of molecules and stuff. So how is that different in function than we'll say the phone, the phone, unless your phone isn't working right, doesn't automate itself and start going and think of it as part of, it just responds to instructions. So why is this bunch of cells me? Okay. And how does it all function as a coherent whole? And so within the cells of the, um, the developing embryo, what is, so we have this understanding there's a chemical gradient that there's like an interior, there's a top side and a bottom side, your head and your feet. And, but what is it that makes that chemical gradient? So we have all these answers to all these questions, but the most fundamental questions of like, what is life? What is any of it, it, we don't know. Like science doesn't know. And that always bothered me. You know, I'd sit in class and it would be like, you're studying evolutionary biology and they're talking about um, how the brain develops and they're talking about consciousness. And they think that consciousness is this thing called an epiphenomenon. And what an epiphenomenon is, is an epiphenomenon is a side effect. So say sickle cell anemia, um, the sickle cells were evolutionary selective for because it prevents malaria. The anemia is kind of like an epiphenomenon. It's a side effect of this mm. thing that prevents an, uh, malaria. And I may have that a little bit off, but it's like not if you develop something and something comes as a side effect, it's not the original purpose. And they think that consciousness is an epiphenomenon. Like it's this big accident that we have, that we have this brain, this whatever it is, that there's this consciousness and this sense of ourselves. Um, and there's a whole group of scientists, at least there was 20 years ago when I studied it, we may have moved past that. They, they think that that's what consciousness is, is whole, we're all walking around with this like side effect that we think is ourselves. Uh, but the, what struck me is that we don't know, like we don't know so many of the most fundamental aspects of life. Um, and those questions always bother me. And so like, I guess I'm a seeker, like I kind of want to know the answers. I'm not okay with. I don't know. Um, and I think if we were looking to encapsulate me, that's what that would be is like, it just doesn't sit well with me to be like, okay, well we don't know that. So accept it on faith and it's in someone else's hands. Just be, just, just, it's fine. Exactly. We're, exactly. <laughs> we're just going to brush past that. Go get married, get a job, have a kid and die. And just don't worry about the stuff that we don't know. <laughs> so, but is, was this something that was always with you or do you think it happened when you were in like med school thinking about this or no, it's always been there. So like we'd be in Bible studies, Bible school, like uh Sunday school. That's what we called it. Sunday school. Um, I had to go on Monday. Yeah. <laughs> on Monday. Sunday school's on Monday, man. <laughs> they had like, well, when you're like, I, I joined the Catholic church when I was six cause I okay. really wanted this candle that they give. I, I mean the best reason to join a church. I don't know why they let me on that reason, but they <laughs> did. So, um, but then I was sort of, because, you know, 
my parents wanted to instill discipline and following through yeah. with whatever you decided. So I had to go to church school for like six years and get confirmed and all this. Oh man. And, um, which is fine. It was okay. I just yeah. really didn't like it after about a month. <laughs> so, well, so like, I mean, we didn't have a choice. So, uh, I never even thought of it as like, do I like it or dislike it? It's just what we did Sunday mornings, but I'd have questions, you know, it'd be like, I mean, even, you know, the most basic ones of God created everything. God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. So he created everything. Then where does evil come from? He must've created that too. But if God is all good, where does evil come from? Right? Like some of these, these things and I'd have actual questions. I'm like, okay, so, and I'm trying to understand because like, this is what we believe. So what about this that I have a question about? And so I'd ask the question, people would get mad and they're like, well, that's for God to answer. And I'm like, but that... I don't, I don't know. Like, why can't he tell me now if he's up there? Right. So I'd like, it really bothered me. These aren't things that people in um, my Sunday school, the people who are the, the true believers cared about because to them, like the answers were already there. Right. But to me, I'm like, okay, this doesn't, and not say, I'm not here to say that faith or whatever doesn't make sense, but it's that leap of faith that you take that it's like, okay, not everything adds up. And some people are just okay with that. And I never was. And it actually got me in trouble for a while because I would ask those questions. And I realized that people thought me asking those questions were, I was called a rebel. I was like, people are like, why don't you just, why can't you just accept it? Why can't you just believe? And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm trying, but how does this work? Like, tell me how it works. Like, tell me the mechanics of it. And what I realized is, is people in general don't know the mechanics of it. I actually even got to the point of reading, do you know what apologetics are? The apologies. It's, um, in depth, uh, basically it's a theological exploration in depth, uh, on a, what would be considered like an academic basis. And it, people write these long apologetics on, you know, this is why our beliefs are true and try to use like science and rationality and all that sort of stuff. When the truth is, it just comes down to like, this is kind of what I believe. Right. And it resonates with me and it's what I believe. And so it took me a while to get to that. Cause I thought everybody was on, a, um, on the same quest to know. Oh, right. Apparently not. <laughs> yeah. Not everybody is. Most people just kind of want to like have their faith and have what they believe and go about their normal day. And that's what it is. And they don't want to know. So like, mm -hmm. I think that, yeah, it's always been there. Um, I've always had questions. I've, I've had teachers who loved me and teachers who hated me mm -hmm. because I'm like asking questions and trying to get to the bottom of it and figure out what's going on. And so the teachers who just want to do their thing and go home and have their glass of wine and wake up and do it again tomorrow and cash their check, they hated me. Um, but I didn't understand it because I yeah. wanted to know. Well, what to do? <laughs> what to do? <laughs> <laughs> What I realized is I don't have a choice. Like that was the weirdest thing to me is, um, I tried to change that about myself cause I always thought it was wrong. Mm. And, uh, at some point I was like, okay, this is just who I am. And I actually, the conclusion that I came to, I was like, okay, if God exists, we'll pre presuppose that God exists. Right. And he created me this way. Then he's gotta be cool with it. Right. Like he's not going to send me to hell for all eternity or like for the um, thing he made you. Exactly. Right. Like that's, that, it bothered me. Cause I'm like, okay, what, like eternity is a long time and to be tortured for eternity is not a very good thing. So I was like thinking I was going to hell cause I just had all these questions and I was like, okay, well that's the rationale that I can do is like, if somebody up there created me and if I'm that way and I can't change it because 
I couldn't, um, then he's probably not going to send me to hell for that. Fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) It's a weird little logical trick, isn't it? I mean, especially when you're younger, you got to find some way to make sense. Yeah, makes sense. And hopefully not be tortured for eternity. (laughs) Preferably. (laughs) It's not really how I want to go out. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, Paying a more, because like, uh, I think a lot of people would be curious, what is Atlanta like? Because I didn't even grow up here. I grew up yeah. in a bunch of different places. So kind of paint a picture. What was the childhood like growing up here? So I grew up in the suburbs. I grew up about, what, 35 miles from here in Marietta. And it was a very, what you'd think of suburbia. You know, we had our little pool and we had our neighborhood and we had our things we did and played outside. And it was pretty, it was pretty like, you know, lots of outside time, lots of, um, playing out in the yard, just hanging out with friends out there. Like that's, that's how a lot of unstructured, unstructured time. Uh, and then like played a little bit of tennis, swam a little bit, um, a little bit of music. It was just a very, honestly, white bread life white bread. it was it was very like you know milk toast um that sort of stuff and like everybody just kind of went to school you get your grades you're going off to college you're doing this you're doing that most of my friends are married with children now and wonder i'm the why i'm the weird one <laughs> going to <laughs> india and all that but that's 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 what it was i think it's different now because um the internet gives you access to, so I grew up and never had come, really come downtown. Like I've maybe gone to the Shakespeare festival once, but like in terms of coming into the city, it was this place that seemed far away. But now kids, if you have you know the internet and you see things happening in Atlanta and you know of events and you know of all that stuff, then you go to them. Whereas mm-hmm. when I was growing up, like we didn't hear about stuff. You know, until high school, my brother was at Georgia Tech and then I come down and go to a show or go to something like that. But it would be, you know, we didn't really come down here much. Mm. So, uh, you know, in terms of Atlanta, I don't know what Atlanta was. Um, I do know that it's been refined quite a bit since I did start coming down here in college. Uh, It's better restaurants. There's a little bit more culture. Um, That's also this weird mix of random people who come here for business. So there's not much of Atlanta culture, so Mm. to speak. It's kind of like business people coming and you do what you're supposed to do and you make money and yeah. Yeah. Transplants. Yeah. I mean, even for me, since I started coming to Atlanta, which is back in like 2011, 2010, when Mm -hmm. the film industry started getting all the tax breaks, uh, from that point on, it was like a constant influx of people from LA or wherever mm-hmm. else for the film industry. And so even from that point, you notice a lot of like neighborhoods completely changing. The Martin yes. Luther King district getting bought out by, I was actually in the Martin Luther King district back in 2011. And uh-huh. I was talking to so a, about like down off Boulevard. Yeah. MLK. Boulevard. Yeah. So, there's, you know, like some statues and artist paintings and stuff, yeah. but it's a lot of like old classic buildings run by people in that community. And even at that time they were starting to get like moved out. And I asked one of the police officers on the side of the street, like, Hey, so what's 
I was doing a video on for YouTube, <laughs> which I never ended up making, but I had like recorded a bunch of footage and asked people things. Mm -hmm. And I asked this uh, police officer, like what he thought about the area and what was going on. And he told me even at that time, a bunch of people from China and other places were buying up a lot of the buildings along the main street right. because they knew that they were building a, like a trolley yeah. thing that they've now got growing. They knew it was going to be a tourist area. So they bought up all those buildings and either renovated them or whatever. And all the uh, people that were living in that area couldn't afford it anymore. Yeah. Starting to get to leave. Even back then. It's a weird thing because it's like the, I'll use the word gentrification. It'll clean up a neighborhood, but then you don't think about the people who are displaced. And a lot of people don't. And I think like Atlanta is an interesting area because you have this, this influx of people into the city um, and I, I think that it's starting to go there, but even along the belt line, you have, it's supposed to ha have the people who lived along there. They're supposed to kind of be a part of the rising tide, you know, be a part of coming up with it. And it's, it's how to make that happen is I think the crux of it. Like, I don't know that anyone, maybe there's a few people who are like, let's go in there and just make our buck and get out and forget those people. But um, how to make sure it's an inclusive project of, you know, if I'm coming into a neighborhood and the neighborhood's getting, getting, uh, remade and rezoned. And so it's, um, higher values Then how do the people, if they can't afford their taxes and they've lived there, their families lived there for 110 years or something like that. Like, how do you make all that right? And I don't know. I think that's kind of emblematic of Atlantis. We've got a lot of those types of issues that we don't know how to balance, um, call it progress. I don't know if it's necessarily progress or not, but progress with making sure that everybody's included in that. Yeah. How do you lift everybody up? Tricky. Yeah. It's, it is tricky. It's not, it's not easy because it's, um, I don't want to speak for those people, the people who are being displaced, but like just staying there living in those conditions that's not necessarily their best life, but then being like kicked out, that's not right either. So I don't necessarily have the answers. I just can see <laughs> <laughs> question marks. Everywhere. Question marks. That's a good, yeah. Question marks. So, and like even this, um, Piedmont park, Piedmont parks, when I was younger, it was, it didn't seem safe to go in. Maybe really? that. Yeah. And now it's, it's safe to go in and it's cleaned up. Um, but I don't know if that's my preconceived notion of, you know, 20 years ago or 15 years ago, not having been down here and not mm -hmm. knowing the area or if it's actually happened. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. I don't know. I, um, I had a friend, I don't remember how long ago this was, but she told me she was having a really hard day, uh, for whatever reason, some, something happened. She went into Piedmont park and mm -hmm. just kind of laid down in one of the little grassy ditch areas mm. and was just crying. Like she was super sad. Mm. And this uh, homeless guy came up and he was just kind of like comforting her. Like he saw Aww. someone's like sad and yeah. just gave her a hug. And, uh, I don't know that kind of broke up something a little bit in me, like that feeling of, you know, when you grow up in suburbs, a lot of times these stranger dangers, like a yes. thing and don't whatever, but I don't know. I, I found it quite beautiful. Not that everyone's like that. There's definitely some <laughs> nutty people out there, but, um, I started, like I picked up a few hitchhikers and stuff after that and mm -hmm. just tried being more open to it. So I just found it interesting, but, um, to think about Piedmont park and other places in Atlanta, 
being not safe the way that people used to talk about like New York, like mm. how different it was uh, in the last, what, 20, 30 years. Yeah. This is very interesting. Yeah. It's fascinating how, how a place can shift. And then, yeah, I mean, I have hope that Atlanta is, um, is becoming a little more, I don't know, clean living, that sort of stuff. I'd love to see a little more environmental friendliness and all those mm -hmm. sorts of things. Yeah. So it's a little more, uh, I'm going to use the word progressive. I don't necessarily like the word progressive because it connotates, you know, East or West coast, you know, Nancy Pelosi and her the progressives, <laughs> progressives, but you know, you, you, you don't want it to be like a dirty, nasty city. I think it can be a clean, um, city where, and if it's inclusive, everybody can benefit from it, you know, like, mm -hmm. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, hopefully. So, so, um, when you were growing up or even all the way through like college times, what were the, the events or people that really helped shape the way you look at the world? Um, so, uh, I remember when I was seven, um, my grandfather got sick and had cancer oh. and he ended up passing away. And it was my first, um, kind of my first brush with death, right? Like it was the realization that, uh, it's going to end, which is weird because like, I just, I remember being up there and it was June and I was funeral and there was, there was snow in Minnesota in June. And he, um, he died and it was like, he was always kind of a big presence in our lives, even though he lived far away. He was always a big presence in our lives. And my mom talked about him a lot and then he was just gone. And it was kind of one of those things that was like, nothing is permanent. If that makes sense. It was, mm. it was just so, I don't know how to explain that, but it really was like, I don't want to say it unsettled me, uh, in that sense, but it was like my first chance to kind of understand that, I'm not immortal. And then when I was, I had actually two incidents when I was like 13, I was playing dodgeball on a trampoline and, um, I actually tore a bunch of ligaments in my neck and had oh. to have like fusion surgery and all Sounds this other awesome. stuff. Yeah. It was awesome. Uh, and then when I was 14, I had, um, appendicitis. I was in the hospital for like 17 days and you know, they had, there were some complications and it was just, uh, it was weird because like those two things. So I was, I was a swimmer. I was an athlete. I was like, you know, you know, king of the world in a certain sense. Um, and then those sorts of things, it's like, I remember I came home from swimming. I went and I ate dinner and then I like threw up all night. It was like throwing up for four days. And then I went into the hospital and the hospital for 17 days and all that. And it's weird to go from like this young, strong person to like, throwing up feeding tubes and oh. you know, IVs and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so it was just, um, I mean, I think those things affected me from, uh, the sense of like, you can grow up in the suburbs and I think be isolated from a lot of things. You can be isolated from, you know, people and places and kind of think that your own little niche is what the world is. Um, but then you have things that like, get you out of your comfort zone. Uh, and that those things made a huge effect on me, um, in terms of also questioning what life is right back to that question. What is, 
what is happening that it can be here one day and it can be not here the next day, Hmm. you know? And then, I mean, it was interesting because like I was a good student. I was in, you know, those honor societies and that sort of stuff. Um, and you get awards and I actually played the saxophone in Carnegie Hall. Really? Um, yeah. And all this stuff. And I was a captain of the swim team, but I remember like you get those things and it's like great for 10 minutes and then you're just kind of back to being normal. Right. And I remember like not, those weren't a big deal to me. And I don't know why it wasn't like, Oh, I got a five on the AP biology test. And I'm like excited. I was just like, oh, okay, I got that. And it was like, okay, on to the next thing. Um, and I don't know if I realized how, cause you look back, I don't care how you did in high school, right? Like those things don't actually add up to much. If you got hooked on heroin and like, yeah, that matters. Or if you did so well that you, like, if you're on that either end of the extreme, yes, they can change the trajectory of your life. But for the most of us, it doesn't change the trajectory trajectory that <laughs> of our life that much. Um, so those things actually, that was, what's weird. Like looking back as I had these things that I did and I accomplished, but I never really looked at them as big accomplishments. And maybe because I'm the youngest and no matter how smart I was, my brother was at Georgia tech getting a degree and you know, my sister was in college getting her degree. And so my little biology tests and you know, 11th grade didn't matter because my brother's doing fourth level calculus or whatever you do at Georgia tech. Right. <laughs> so I was like, Oh, that's cute. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's kind of how it was. Um, and I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing. Like, I don't know if that was a positive or a negative. I just, I kind of look back and like, sometimes like I played a solo in Carnegie hall. Like that's, that's kind of crazy. Um, but I never looked at it as like a big thing. And then you talk to people and they're like, what you did, what, Mm. you know, give some, just a brief context of what that means. Like Carnegie hall. Why is that important? Why does that mean anything? I mean, it's basically the, the pinnacle of, um, Carnegie hall is like music, right? It's like in a certain sense, it's what, it's the, you know, you reach it and you're there <laughs> and it's like what people strive for. It's what people do. Um, I played in high school as part of our band. It was that sort of thing, but they rewrote a solo so I can play it because our trumpet player couldn't play it. So I actually played a different instruments, um, solo, uh, as part of some like band competition for high school, but it's still like you're there and you're doing it. And this is where huge, I mean, it's basically like you go to New York, you go to Carnegie Hall to watch a, watch a performance and it doesn't necessarily matter who you go see because it's going to be really good unless you go see some weird like Philip Glass thing. He's doing, <laughs> you know who he is? No. Okay. You got to look him up. He's this weird like composer who's got, um, oh my God, it's crazy. Like he's, I'm trying to think, you, you know who David Lynch is? You've seen, so it's like, he's like the David Lynch of David Lynch wrote like Mulholland drive and he's got elephant man. He's got all these weird movies that he makes. That okay, are like, okay. So it's like the David Lynch. It's like this anti music music. Right. And he's like, it's so strange. It's strange stuff. And it's good, but it's got like weird harmonies and weird rhythms, but it works. And it's like, he's got this one thing where it's like all people's voices mm-hmm. and they're like all saying one tone and he like makes a symphony out of it. And all this stuff. No, it's crazy, but it's like, it's like fascinating, but it's not necessarily something that you'd go and be like, this is what I want to spend three hours watching. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I can appreciate the brilliance of it, 
Yeah. But not want to sit in on our performance. <laughs> Fair enough. You know how that is. But so Carnegie Hall is just, it's just one of those, it's, a, it's like an accomplishment. It's like if you got into, um, it's like if you're a business person and you got in Harvard Business School, mm. right? Like it's something that's like, oh, you did that. That's cool. Right? And so it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's just kind of fascinating looking at, but. Um, but then you said it didn't really mean anything after 15 minutes. I mean, it was cool and it was cool being there. And then we finished and we got on the bus and it's like, you're just you. Right. So I guess in a weird sense, um, it's not transformative, mm. right? Like it's an experience, but it doesn't change who you are. Or it doesn't give you like a deeper understanding of life or it doesn't give that stuff. It's just, um, and there was, there's, I think it's on PBS. It's, I think it's called the price of gold or something like that. And it's about Olympians and how once they reach gold, there's a lot of depression and there's a lot of that stuff because you finally get what you want. And you're kind of like, is that it? Now what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the first time I won a triathlon, I was like, okay, that's cool. But it takes 10 minutes before you're like back to planning for the next one. Right. And you're just on that treadmill and there's nothing wrong with it. Um, but that understanding really seeing that this isn't, this isn't it. You know, I can go out and I can see that beautiful girl and I can talk to her and get her phone number and take out on a date and heck, get married and have kids. But at some point you're like, you see all your friends who are married and have kids and they're not happier than you busier, <laughs> but not happier. And all some of them are more, much more miserable. Right. So it's like, then what's the answer? Because if the whole thing is like, because that's what we see, right? I had this happen. I started from the MCAT. Okay. okay. I took the MCAT. I didn't just study for it. Like, oh, I took the MCAT. And I was expecting to get like a 27, 28 on the MCAT and go to medical college, Georgia, and get my med degree and go be a doctor. Well, I got like a 32, 32 or 33. I don't remember exactly. Is that good? I don't know. So 27 is like solid. 27 would be like go to a state school. 32 is go to a higher level school. Like it puts you in it. So I was sat down. I was like, okay, now I got to figure out what I want to do with this. <laughs> right. So I, I sit down and I write it out and I'm like, okay, go here, get this job, work, married, kids, retire, die, go to this, blah, 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 work, marry, kids, retire, die. It always ends up in the same place, right? And I'm like, what's the point of this? Okay, you're always going to retire and die. And maybe you're not supposed to extrapolate it out that far. That's your mistake. I know. You're right? thinking too much. You stop right here. But like, I thought through it and like, you're, you're doing the planning. You plan all the way, right? And so I was like, what's the point of all? Like, really, what's the point of all this? I'm kind of, I'm racing triathlons. I'm a little bit stressed out. I'm type A. I'm always go, go, go. And I, the, the whole thing is, is like, if I get this, then I'll be happy. And I think we're all on that roller coasters. People are like, I remember doing that in college. Once I get to this test, I'll be able to relax. I'll get, get it done. This is what's stressing me out. Mm -hmm. And once I get done with that test, it's the next thing. Like it's maybe 20 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. if, it, if you're good a day, you get a day before you start stressing about the next thing. Um, and it's this lie we tell ourselves that if I get this next job or if I get this next house or if I get this next car or if I get this accomplishment, if I play Carnegie Hall, if I win Ironman um, Hawaii, if I do all this sort of stuff, Lance Armstrong in his book, when he first read, when he first won the um, Tour de France, 
I remember he was talking and, you know, something like they had the banquet and he won. He's, you know, something about how do you like them apples? For some reason, he was quoting Goodwill Hunting. Then he's like, I laid down with my wife and we laid down and in our hotel room. Like, we did it. We're here. This is it. And that's if I remember right, there may be a little epilogue after that. But like, that's basically how they ended the book. And it's very clear that that's not how his life ended. Right. Like since then, he's kind of self-destructed or maybe he was in the process of it during. I don't know. But you look at it and that's how we're bullied. The movie, you know, the the orchestral part. Yeah, the person's doing this and like he gets the medal around. There's nothing about the ending of um, Star Wars. And they get the medals around their neck and the Death Star is blown up. And little know that freaking Darth Vader's making another one. You know what I mean? A bigger one this time. I know, right? With the same hole. Exactly. (laughs) But, like, that's it. And then you... I mean, if we're taking the Star Wars analogy further, you're like, okay, but then they get rid of Darth Vader and someone else comes along. And Mm -hmm. someone else comes along. Someone else comes along. And if you really step back and look at life, even if you look at your own individual life, like, you think that I get this, I accomplish this, I do this. And then I'm like set. Right. Mm. I mean, I bet, um, Mark Zuckerberg was at one point, he was like, man, if I can just make a hundred thousand dollars off this Facebook thing, I'll be set. Like I'll be good, you know? And then he's a miserable billionaire or Jeff Bezos. You know, if I could just be the richest person in the world. Exactly. Well, maybe if I double it (laughs) and that's, that's literally what we're doing. We're like, all right, we're going to double down. It's like, maybe if I just go to Mars, (laughs) you're at, you're at a black, I mean, we're literally just all at a blackjack table and we're like, got blackjack. Okay. Let's double it down. Let's double our money now. And it's just like that realization. I think I had that at like 21, 22. I was like, okay, this isn't going to make me happy. Like I'm going to be the same person that I was at 30 at 40 at 50, because you can see it in people. They're the same people, maybe just slightly more miserable. If they get what they want, you know, even the successful ones, those are the successful ones. And then also seeing Dick Cheney on TV, man, and Dick Cheney up there and he's like, we got to go into Iraq and get this or whatever he was doing. I don't know. That's a horrible Dick Cheney that, impression. I was going to say, was that your impression? <laughs> that was my impression of Dick Cheney. No, that's actually probably my impression of um, John Stewart doing Dick Cheney, right? Because like, it's been filtered. He <laughs> 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 has been filtered through John Stewart doing Dick Cheney. But uh, I did. I remember watching him. And my brother was at war in the Afghanistan war. No, was he? No, he was in the Iraq war, but he, okay. Sorry. He, he was in the Iraq invasion. And I remember watching Dick Cheney and I was like, this dude is miserable. Oh, Dick Cheney. Yeah. Miserable. He won. Like he's got whatever he wanted in life and he's miserable. Something's wrong with that. Hmm. So a fair assessment. No, it is. So like, I realized like at 22, I like did that and I plotted out. I was like, at what point does my like type a high stress personality change? Mm-hmm. Um, I think most people have that at like 45 when they get everything they want. And that's what a midlife crisis is. You're like, Oh, nothing actually changed. And then they double down. They're like, let me try a new car or a, let me get a motorcycle younger <laughs> wife or whatever it is. Right. <laughs> I mean, how many people do that? Yeah, they get to 45 do. and I think they have, it's not that they're unhappy with what they have. And that's the mistake that I think they make. These are, you know, but they're not, it's not that they're unhappy with their wife or their job. It's they're unhappy and they realize they're unhappy. And then what do they do? They start trying to change everything around them. Yeah. Which is kind of funny because if that stuff 
didn't work the first time, what makes you think yeah. the younger model is going to exactly make more sense? Exactly. So it, it, it doesn't. And so you see it and it's this kind of, it's this weird uh, despair you can see amongst people who have gotten what they wanted when they realize that like, do you know what neuro-linguistic programming is? Okay. So it's a way to, it's like Tony Robbins stuff. It's a way to like break down the structure of language and how we think and how we look at the world. And so, um, it's like, if you're like, I want a new car and I said, what do you really want? And you're like, well, I really want to be happy. And I feel like that, that would be kind of reframe, it would be called reframing what you think. Like you want to be happy. And so like, if you look at the underlying goal, the underlying goal is basically to be happy, to be at peace, to be you know, that sort of stuff. And we think that these external things are going to bring them. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you take, if you really look at what you're going for, why do you want that? You want that because of the internal feeling it's going to create, right? Like that's what we're all actually after. We're that little protozoa that has like this thing over here that it goes towards it and it feels a resistance to, and this thing over here that it feels like an attraction to, and that's all we are. Like it's, it's much more complex, but that's what we are. But realizing that so many of the things we do don't work at 22 is freaking scary. Yeah, you know, it was, it was, it was just like, holy crap, you know? <laughs> and now what do I do? So what'd you decide to do? I race triathlons. Oh. <laughs> Run away from it. I mean, it literally, because like you look around and there's no paradigm in our society. I mean, I tried, it's interesting. I tried some yoga. I tried, um, Paramahamsa Yogananda's meditation. I tried different things, but it didn't, I mean, I tried some crazy things like, okay. so I told you, I've told you, I went down, um, I got into shamanism and energy healing and stuff like that. I went down and did ayahuasca mm. and do you know what ayahuasca is? Yeah. yeah. So it's people who don't know just went meta here not to freak anyone out <laughs> am i allowed to look in the camera yeah okay. you it's your podcast what's up guys um <laughs> josh talking here so <laughs> josh can josh can camera one hey ladies do you like the mustache <laughs> so, this is gonna be so weird for people only listening to audio <laughs> i know right so there's cameras in this for those people only listen to audio there are cameras yeah. uh, check was, it out on youtube give me a like subscribe Hi. exactly anyway um <laughs> make a fake email subscribe twice you know whatever <laughs> twice is nice anyway <laughs> three times hey that's it um, so ayahuasca is this uh it's like peyote it's this um hallucinogenic substance it's very strong you do it uh in the jungles of uh like i went to peru and did it and it's supposed to be they say that like you take it and it's like 10 years of therapy in one night it's not something that is um it's, it's not something you do for like play. It, like it's a long, intense experience and there's purging, there's, there's vomiting and the other end as well. It's definitely um, not an addictive thing. Huh? It's definitely not something you get oh, addicted no, to. Oh no, 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 it's not addictive. So I went down there and I was, I was doing, I did that and like I did it four nights and it was this great experience and feeling communion. And then I went down like six months later and did it again and it was it was an interesting experience because I saw the person who was leading it and I saw his soon to be wife and they were both on the trip and he's been doing it for 25 years. She's been doing it for 10 or 15 and they're just bickering at each other. Right. And they're just bickering and not to be judgmental, but I want something that 
if I do it and I'm doing it for 25 years, I can maintain a relationship. You know, like, I feel like that's kind of a bare minimum. Yes, you're going to have arguments. Yes, you might have that. But not to be, like, constantly at each other for, like, eight days in a row. You know? Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things that I realized that even these big, powerful experiences, they weren't changing people on a fundamental level. They weren't doing that. So, I mean, I tried... I'd read all sorts of crazy stuff. Like I said, I tried different types of yoga. I tried different types of meditation. I tried... um that ayahuasca, I tried, you know, NLP, I tried... What's NLP? Neuro-linguistic program. That's what oh, I was saying. Okay, it's the okay. reframing. I actually went and... Um, did you ever read the book, The Game? Mm-hmm. It's about pickup artists and they... Uh, yeah, okay, yeah okay. I went and I like, I read a little bit about that and I was like, maybe if I can get whatever woman I want, it'll make me happy. No, it didn't work. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you that. It didn't work. Um and I actually, I guess we'll transition into what did work. Uh, after all this searching, I mean, I went to Peru. I almost married a, um, a very attractive Swedish girl. I did, I mean, all sorts of stuff. And um, tried just living like by the body, do whatever you want, drink, smoke, do whatever you want. And then try like the ascetic life, do nothing. And you know, still nothing really, you'd see little changes, right? But I wasn't looking at you know, rolling down the window shades or rearranging the furniture. I wanted to find a way to change kind of who I was like this type a person who is not like, it's different to sit there and be happy and then act versus I have to do this and I have to do that and I have to do this. It was like, I was the horse and something was sitting there cracking the whip and driving me. Um, and it's <laughs> interesting analogy, isn't it though? Like it's, it, I'm not choosing it. Most people aren't choosing that. They're just reacting to these impulses. Right. And mm. it's actually, a, um, I'm going to get this wrong. I know I'm going to get this wrong, but there's like a Zen talking about the mind and they're like, you need to hold it like the reins of a horse, not too tight, not too loose. Like you, you need to just like have a gentle thing. They're like, most people like the horse just directs you. The horse pulls you wherever you're going. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, yeah. So that was, that was when I was like 22, 23. And then I spent like six years. I was racing triathlons. Actually, I was a professional triathlete for a while doing that. But even then, like I'd win a race or do really well or get a sponsor. And it was like, it wasn't like, okay, I've made it. Or maybe it was for a little bit. And then I was like, okay, back, back to the grind. Um, and so I found Isha and Sadhguru, uh, I was on a bus ride through Peru and I was like really depressed actually. Cause I was, I tried all this stuff and I like the ayahuasca was so great the first time. And the second time, um, you mean the second trip, the first time, the first trip was great. The second trip was, it was solid, but it was like, I had a girlfriend down there with me and we were arguing because like, for me, if you go and do that sort of thing, it's like you going and doing it. It's not like a wee thing. Mm-hmm. And she wanted it to be a wee thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I saw these people who were running it that were at each other's throat. And so I was just like, okay, so this doesn't work. Like, yes, it works, but it doesn't work at that fundamental level of change. Like these people are still arguing about the same little things. I want, like whatever I wanted, I knew that this wasn't it. And I had spent so much time. I was just like exhausted. Right. I was, I was exhausted. I was tired of being me. I was tired of being that type A person. And I had this moment of like breakdown and I was 
I was like, okay, if I can't find anything, I'm going to go home and I'm like, life's not worth living. Like I'm going to go put my stuff together and I'm going to kill myself because right like, at that point. Oh yeah, yeah. I was just miserable. Like I was, I was searching for something to fundamentally change me. Cause it was like, I was tired of dragging a cart around that I didn't want to drag around to use that metaphor. Um, so I had this moment of breakdown cause I had thought the shamanism and the energy healing, I had experienced things. I have ex- I experienced things that I can't explain. Right. Like I experienced things that don't fit in my logic. Uh, so I was like, this is something. Um, but then I looked at it and like, does it truly lead to balanced, happy people? Does it truly lead to like settled people? Can I sit there and close my eyes and just be happy? No. And I was like, well, maybe that nothing will ever get there. You there and you're just destined to struggle. So I had that and I was like, okay, I'm going to go home get my affairs together. And I just don't want to live. This is the life we're living. Uh, and I had like this breakdown, I was, like sent it out to the universe. And I was like, okay, if there's anything that's real, now's the time. You know what I mean? That's that basically time. what it is. I'm like, now's the time. There won't Here's be time shot. later. Yeah, exactly. Like, you got your shot. <laughs> Take your shot universe. I'm here. <laughs> no, I mean, I laugh about it. Like I'm sitting here laugh about it, but like it was literally like I was sitting there like figuring out where I was going to do it, figuring out my plans, figuring out all the things I had to do to, um, to make it so it wasn't hard and the people around me as hard, you know, like I think I was a delusional to think it wouldn't be hard, but like, so it wasn't as hard on the people around me. Um, makes sense. He was like gently free. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was like, I'll go. And I was like, I'll go into like, I'll get all my affairs together, have it things in places where people can find them. And then I'll go and do it like in the wild where, and just like eat mail and notes. So like five days later, someone will get a note and then they'll, you know what I mean? Like, so nobody had to find the body and no one had to do all that stuff. So considered. I know, right. <laughs> so I'm, I'm such a good person. <laughs> No, I mean, it's just like, it's the state of mind you're in. So we're on this bus ride. Like I had this breakdown the night before I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay, if there's anything like I'm done, now's the time. And, um, I had finished my Michael Pollan book. The, what was it? I can't remember what the book was. Michael Pollan, the author. Fast food. No, yeah. He wrote, he writes a bunch of like nutrition, nutrition books. Oh, okay. He might write more than that. That's what I knew. But he was, uh, he didn't write fast food nation. He wrote, um, can't remember what it is. Opt- Omnivore's Dilemma. It's oh, a fascinating okay. book. So, um, it's basically like if I'm a panda and I only have to eat eucalyptus, I don't have to have this thought process of what to eat. So I have no stress about it, but like us it's being just omnivores, we have to like think about, do I want the biryani rice or do I want the chenna? You know, whatever it is. You want the general sales chicken. Exactly. You want the general sales chicken. So, um, I finished that book and somebody had Midnights with the Mystic and I read it and it, I'm not going to be like, it was this amazing experience. I read it and I was like, okay, this guy seems to know what he's talking about. Check him out. And I, I literally like, it was a six hour bus ride. I finished the book. Um, and then I went home and I, or I, we got to that place where there was internet and I looked online and I was like, okay, this was middle of July. Right. And there was a class in LA, like August 3rd. I was like, I can take that. I can put off killing myself to that. <laughs> that was literally the time process. Right. And so, um, hold on. Sorry. Okay. I've got like <laughs> phone issues. I know. Um, so I was like, I can put off killing myself, uh, for that long. And then I was like, um, 
And that was the thought process I went in. And I went in and it's the weirdest thing because when you're do ayahuasca, it's this like energy. It's this weird, intense energy. It's not pleasant, but it's this weird, intense energy. And it's very like visceral. Um, and for me, it was like there was this, this humming and it was just, I don't know. I, I still have no idea what it was. Um, it's hard to describe. It is. But it's almost like there's a swarm of bees around you. That's almost the feeling it has. And so when I went in and I took the class, I was like, okay, this is, this is very similar to, um, you know, what we did with the Param, Paramhamsa Yogananda, like the teachings and that sort of stuff. It's, it's, you know, a lot of those things, you're, you know, spirituality is not stuff that you necessarily haven't seen before. Uh, and the, the, the breathing and that sort of stuff, the practice, and then we got initiated. And the initiation was in terms, it was like a very distilled similarity to what I felt when I was on ayahuasca. Mm. It was, but it was different, but like the intensity and something was there. And I was like, Oh, there might be something here. Um, I'll cut the suspense. There is <laughs> <laughs> no, but like it, and I'm not going to be like, it would be easy for me to be like, and then everything changes. No, you have to do the practice. You have to do the stuff. You have to, in alcoholics and all that. So like, it works if you work at it. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, it works if you work at it. And that's like, you get the tools and you get that. But it was, I can sleep now. You know what I mean? That's like, a nice benefit. It is a nice benefit. I can sleep. I'm not stressed out about everything. I just looked at my phone. I've got, um, okay, we've got like, I've got to be somewhere in like, 30 minutes. And so, but like, I'm not stressed about it. I wasn't like, Oh, I got to be somewhere. You know, something like that, which mm. seems like a small, um, accomplishment that I'm not, but it, for me, I was always on edge for no reason. Like I don't have people hunting me. <laughs> There's nothing <laughs> like that. There's no like in, in, imminent death, but it was, it was always that feeling. And I, maybe that's why I never found, um, found, uh, like success is because, I, it might just be that I was always kind of like on edge and imminent failure was like a half step away. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but that may be what it, what it was. Um, but it is, it's like, you know, no matter how good something is, you want to break from it. Right. You always want to break from it. You could be married to the best person in the world. You want a little bit of your own time and like in life, no matter how good of a person you are, you need a little break from yourself sometimes. And I feel like yoga kind of like allows you to tune that down and turn it up as, you know, like if I need to be type A, you know, if we have something due, I can go and like hustle and do it. But that's my choice. Not, you know, I'm like turning that up. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to have that dialogue. Exactly. Exactly. This one goes up to 11. <laughs> And this whole joking thing, like I, I, I gotta say, I'm speaking about depression and mental illness and stuff like that and laughing about it. Um, and I think that that is a testament to, to the power of some of that stuff is because it is something that like, it was such a part of my life, like the depression and the anxiety and that like fear and all that sort of stuff. And we can sit here and joke about it. I think I can joke about it because I'm not in it anymore. But I don't think it's a light subject. You know, like we're sitting here making, kind of making jokes about it. Not about it, but making jokes around it. But I want it to be like, I didn't know 
I didn't know. And I actually wrote, so I wrote a letter one time and I was like, literally, and this was, this was two years in and I'm still having like some suicidal thoughts and stuff like that. And I wrote him, I'm like, there's times where I just feel like I want to crawl in a hole and die. Like that's, that's what I feel. And he just wrote back and he's like, just do your practices. I'm with you. It'll go away. And it did, you know what I mean? It takes time and it takes effort and you're not going to get rid of a lifetime of, you know, 28 years of that. And I mean, maybe you can, maybe some people can, but I'm obstinate and <laughs> difficult. I'm a mule. I'm very difficult. <laughs> My mom used to say that to me. My mom would be like, I feel sorry for the girl who marries you. Cause you're, you're difficult. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, um, <laughs> so you have time to go soon as Rel Yeah, relatively. How much time do you want to? Oh, what do we have? What do we have? So, like, I'm helping this um, kid who wants to be an actor, and so I'm helping him tape his first thing. So, let's do. Can we do like five more minutes, and then maybe have it to be continued if we want? Uh, I'm not sure how that'll work, but um, no, I mean, like, if we want to do a part two at some point, not like to be continued of this episode, but I feel like I want to, I want to know more about you too. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> or like continue the conversation. Uh, I'm just kind of ask a We'll, we'll figure something out. Right. Okay. So, um, let's just look at, uh, now looking at where we are in terms of like the more present times. Mm-hmm. What do you feel, what would you say is something that you, you wish people understood that people just don't seem to get around you? That we're not a half step away from catastrophe. I feel like everybody's still in survival mode, you know, that we're still running around. Like you look at the U.S. and the lot, well, up until the pandemic, like eight years of pretty good economic and everybody's still clamoring about the economy. Like it's about to fail, right? Like we're very, we're pretty secure. And that doesn't mean we don't have to like keep an eye on things or we don't have to like live responsibly, but we're not in survival mode. Most of us. Okay. And there are people out there that are, and I'm not trying to, you know, if people are struggling, especially in the time of pandemic, I'm not trying to talk down to them. But even the people in the U.S. who are who are struggling, it's not the same as somebody. Was it Ethiopia who had the famines recently? Where was it? I'm not sure. There were some famines that happened recently. Oh God, I feel like such a privileged American for not knowing where the famines were. But um, <laughs> there were like we're not dealing with famines. We're not dealing with widespread starvation. There's a couple small changes in our society that we could make. And everybody's food would be taken care of. Like everybody would be settled. And I think looking at it and realizing a, we're not, we're not a half step away from collapse. If we keep the ironic thing is if we keep acting like we're that way, it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy because we'll use the resources until they're gone. And then our ecosystems will collapse and all that sort of stuff. But uh, the history of the human race is basically war, right? Like it's, it's struggle and it's strive to survive and stuff like that. And 
we're not there anymore. And so being able to realize that if I disagree with you on politics, it's not a matter of life and death. It's not a matter of anything like that. If somebody has slightly socialist policies, it's not somebody wanting us to become 1940s Russia or 1960s Russia. It's not that sort of stuff. Or if somebody, you know, regardless of what people say, Trump wasn't Hitler, you know? So it's, it's like realize, like taking a step back and, yeah, there's disagreements on which way to go, but even as a as a global, a lot of the problems we have are solvable if everybody isn't in the me versus you, only one of us gets to eat thing. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what it is. It's, yeah. We think it's survival. We think kill or be killed. We think stuff like that. And um, if we can evolve past that, that'll be our salvation. Mm. Fair enough. Yeah. What do you... Uh... What would you like to see the next, like, what are you hopeful for, for the next five years or so? It's interesting because most of my hope for the next five years is just personally, like I want to, <laughs> but that's not like, that's, that's so okay. I'd, that way. I'd like to, um, hopefully I'll get to a place where I can like some of the things I've created come to fruition mm -hmm. and I can step back and just focus internally for a while. That's, that's for me for the next five years, but I'd love to see everybody have like, I mean, really, I'd just love to see everybody have a taste of, of peace and ease, you know, and realize that like as humans, we have the capability to move past this fight that life has been to a place where it's like we work together, you know, and that, Oh, I'm ho I'm hopeful that people don't can step back from looking at, people as other and the enemy, you know, that would be nice. Yeah. Like it's not me versus you. Like you and I sit here and we clearly don't No, I won't say clearly. That sounds really funny. We don't, uh, there, we don't agree on everything. You can't, you can't, you can't like, even in terms of this conversation, if you and I sat down and picked out the minutia of what this conversation was, we have two different experiences. And a third one over there, like running the thing, right? <laughs> the boss over there. Switching away. <laughs> exactly. So like there's, there's three, di in this, in this room, there's three different experiences of what this was, right? Mm -hmm. Um, it's cause I mean, for me, I'll be like, yeah, I, I've felt like I just kind of talked a lot, not in a bad way, but I felt like I kind of talked a lot. Um, and I would, uh, I'd be like, I would have rather have it be a back and forth. And for you, you could be like, oh, I always get to hear what I have to say. I'm glad, glad to listen to you. Right. Like that's just me presupposing knowing what you are, um, what you're thinking, but there's, there's no, Oh, sucker said it really good. He's like, you need to realize the difference between like small T truth and this is my truth. This is my truth and the big T truth, right? Like existential truth. Existential truth. And so I think like realizing that we can have separate truths, like my, everything that led up my genetics, my environment, my raising, all that sort of stuff led me to believe and sit where I want, where I am and have my experience of life. And it's different than yours. And that's not a right versus wrong, but it's just two people, two different and have like the grace to be like, Okay, if I was in your, if I was raised how you were raised, I would be in your chair right now. Mm -hmm. Maybe not sitting as comfortably in that chair, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, <laughs> you're you're rocking the regal pose. I mean, like I'm you're just like doing off the with his head. <laughs> he gets to live. He makes me. <laughs> for, those, for those of you on uh, on just audio. Heath is in uh, a very ornate chair. <laughs> it's it's extremely ornate. I, I appreciate the 
craftsmanship. I know. It's Although, nice. I will say it's not the most comfortable chair. No, it's not. <laughs> it's quite... But it looks good. I'll take it. I think that's, uh, that's endemic of a lot of our society. <laughs> not comfortable, but they look good. Mm. Yeah. What to do. <laughs> what to do. Um, okay, well, since you have to go, we'll kind of close here. Yeah. Is there any um, last words you'd like to just say? Anything you want to pass on? Um, yeah, I just, I think... I know so many people say this, like, if it's possible for me, it's possible for you, but to live a life basically without stress and to be like sitting around here laughing and joking about a mental illness that you once had, like, that's, for me, that's a lot of progress. And so I think whether it's through, um, Heath and I do something through Isha foundation, we do, uh, or, you know, there's other I'll just say this. I know that that works. <laughs> so I, that's why I'm a proponent of that. I'm sure there's other things that work, um, but it only works if you do it. So find something that works for you and do it because if everybody gets better, the world's a better place. Fair it's enough. That's simple, right? Yeah. <laughs> find what works for you. Goodbye, like y'all. <laughs> <laughs> um, we all can have mangoes or something. <laughs> Oh, mangoes. We were oh, just yeah. on the previous podcast talking about this um, mango dessert they make in Singapore. It's uh, phenomenal. They yeah. take mango and they make it in three different ways. Like one is just sliced, one is frozen and shaved, and uh -huh. one is something else. And it's it's just mango, but yeah. it's the best thing I've ever had in my life. There's a um, restaurant in Mumbai that like they brought out this whipped mango, right? Ooh. And I thought it was mango ice cream. And I'm like, what what are what's in this? It's like just mango. And I was like, no. <laughs> Come on, man. There's some magic sauce in here. What is Come this? Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can tell me. You can tell me. <laughs> but he was just like, no, it's just mango. And we just kind of like whip it and like it's light and fluffy and frozen. And I was just like, no freaking way. Whip it good. <laughs> <laughs> it's not too late. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> on that note of mango deliciousness um that's all for today we'll try and get josh on here another time to go a little deeper but okay. otherwise um thank you guys and josh thank you so much thank I... you and thank you Shvam. boss <laughs> don't don't fit such ideas <laughs> so like it <laughs> the question is is how are you not the boss oh here we go <laughs> all right thank anyway. you it's been fun yeah, I appreciate it because this, this has been a really fun experiment seeing yeah. getting to know people on a level you don't really get to talk about that exactly. much. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's been a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Hopefully, we'll have you on again, go a yeah. little deeper. Awesome. In the meantime, you guys have a good night, good day, whatever you are, whatever time it is. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we'll catch you in the next one. Bye.